Want to stream cognitive dissonance to your Android or iPhone? Buy the app. Go to dissonancepod.com and click on the link on the right-hand side of the page. Each purchase helps support the show. Hey, Tom and Cecil. This is uh, Casey from New Mexico. Um, I left a message a couple minutes ago about not being able to laugh at jokes about the eight-year-old Yemeni bride. And, you know, I really need to learn to listen to your entire show for a call in and leave a voicemail because about 30 seconds after that you made about three or four jokes about passport stamps being dipped in you many vaginal blood and the wedding and the, the gift registry and, and I fucking lol so good job that was hilarious and uh, I feel like a horrible person thanks a lot guys hey Tom it's Eagle. Um, glory hole um, I remember some time back you guys mentioned something about um, a certain park or something down there uh, called Glory Hole. I think I got one to talk to you. I come from a province uh, called Newfoundland, Labrador, uh, and just uh, outside of my hometown, there's a place called Dildo. Yeah, that's right, Dildo. Um, so there you go. Enjoy. Have fun with that. Hey, guys, it's Todd down in Austin. Got back from a trip out of the country and... I think it's pretty sad that I couldn't get the podcast when I was gone, and I only have two episodes to make up, and I fucking missed you guys, so, you know, glory hole. Hey guys, this is Sean in Utah, glory hole. I decided to share something funny that I prayed about a long time ago, years and years, years ago, I was going through a really rough time in my life, I'm still a believer at the time, everyone kept telling me that it was all part of God's plan. The things that get better is that if he had a plan for me. There's a reason that so many things are messing up at the same time. So I actually prayed to God, told him to leave me the fuck alone, <laughs> get out of my life. So uh, obviously I didn't remain a believer for much longer after that, but I got to get a kick out of it. Keep up the good work. Guys, I love your show, but holy friggin' nutballs. The other day that story about... Uh, Islamo-fascist egghead that screwed his child bride to death on their wedding night until she bled out. Lord God! Uh, look, great show overall. But in the future, any stories that deal with child rape or puppy torture, could you hit them and move on? I could have done without the ten minutes of in-depth detail describing how this guy... I mean, come on. That's enough. Let's move on. I, I Be advised that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason. Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode, we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical, it's political, and there is no welcome at this. is episode 120. This 
is the Welcome Back Cotter episode. Cecil has returned. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> From his jet setting across uh, the wilds of Europe, yeah. leaving me, of course, uh, here to struggle for upwards of minutes at a time. Minutes. Uh, I don't appreciate that, Cecil. How dare you leave how, any of the work to How me. difficult was it to, to load the show? It was extremely easy. It yeah. took seriously like – it took like <laughs> maybe like six minutes and yeah. most of that was just because I'm too dumb to realize which tab I'm on. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, uh, what? Oh, fuck. That tab. I think Man, the worst click over. part about you doing it now is I can't complain as much about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't do the editing. You know, that's right, the big right, – right. That's the and, and we I think we proved that to our audience last week, right? Oh, like, yeah. Well, we got a couple of comments. People were like, yeah, you should do that more often. It's like, hey, Tom lives fucking 40 miles away from me. <laughs> I ain't doing that very often. Yeah. Um, no. It's, it was fun, though. It was fun to do. You know, and that's – you can only do that for a very short amount of time. That, that live show, live-ish show we did was something you can only do for a very short amount of time. And when people say, oh, you guys should do it live in like front of an audience – Tom and I scared us, stared at our computer screens the whole time. Like yeah. it was, it's not fun. It wouldn't be fun for you to see that. <laughs> it's like it's like two ugly people not looking at you. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like, like going it. to the zoo. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it is like you know what it is, Cecil. It's going to the zoo and all the animals are asleep and facing away from you. Because yeah. <laughs> you've been like and, you've done that, right? And, you go to the zoo and it's like, oh, there's a grizzly bear. Yeah, or a rock. I'm not <laughs> sure. It's vaguely brown lump you're right tom it's like the animals are looking away from you not paying attention to you and farting that's what it is <laughs> and to be fair when we record in this office it's 109 it's degrees it's fucking virgilian degrees in there i you know i have no idea how you can stay so fat i mean my god i would think that the pounds would just melt off just doing the podcast each week you Years should you should market it somehow as like a fucking diet tape or something like a richard simmons sort of thing it's like an anti-diet tape is what it is it's like follow the follow the tom diet and yeah. no matter what happens you'll still be fat yes you know what i mean it's like, it doesn't make any difference it's like you've been adrift in the, in the open right. ocean You've been surviving on seawater and your own calluses for a week. (laughs) You're abandoned in the middle of the Sahara with like a fucking Dasani bottle and a strip of jerky. And you're like, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) I'll be fine. fine. Hell, people will treat me like an oasis. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking herds of people are like herds. I'm travelers are like... Oh, look at that. It it's, uh, appears to be a particularly large dune. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's camp under it. It's either shimmering or glistening with yeah. man sweat. Glistening. We're not sure. And it smells terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's eaten all the buzzards. Yeah. The well, buzzards. Know, <laughs> it's eaten all, Just like a pile of feather and bone. <laughs> The, the buzzards don't yeah. stand a chance. They show up to uh, like, uh, sir, you've eaten all of our buzzards. Yeah. Like, oh, you mean those desert turkeys? <laughs> yeah. I delicious. love buzzard sashimi. It's delicious. <laughs> so I want to mention before we before we continue that we have uh, later on in the show, we have an interview with Robert Blaskowitz. And I probably mispronounced that. But uh, Robert does a whole bunch of stuff. 
And uh, we're going to be talking to him specifically about uh, stories from the Brzezinski Clinic. So uh, so you're going to want to stick around for that, but we're going to do some stories, I think, before then. I just pray over this equipment. We speak over the PowerPoint presentations, the, all of the video projectors, and we'll say, devil, we know what you love to do in meetings like this. And we say, you will not, in Jesus' name, you will not prevent this message from going out. No microphone problems in Jesus' name. So this story comes from Salon.com, also everywhere else on the internet this week, because it's awesome. Uh, Scalia, I believe in the devil. And then there's a great quote right underneath it. What he's doing now is getting people not to believe in him or God. He's much more successful that way. He's um, very successful. This is some Argle Blargle. This is some Scalia <laughs> Brand Argle Blargle. He gave an interview, Cecil, that was as chock full of crazy as many of Pat Robertson's most senile blatherings. Yeah, this guy, you know what he reminds me of is like a really, really superstitious George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what he reminds he looks me of. Like him. Doesn't he look like him? I you know the the thing about this is, is this guy, he's eating while he's having sex he with is, somebody. He, it's like dropping corned beef on her back. Oh, yeah. I could see this guy knocking a kid out of the way to get out of a burning house. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of guy he is. But, no, one of the things when he's talking about uh, – there's a great part here where you're talking about the devil. And he talks about um, – he talks about, you know, whether or not the devil exists. And he says – isn't it the, the interviewer says? Isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? And Scalia says, "You're looking at me as though I'm weird. My God, are you so out of touch? Most of America, most of which believes in the devil. I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. It's in the Gospels. Well, you travel in circles that are so so removed from the mainstream America that you are appalled that anyone would believe in the devil. Yeah, I'm appalled that you fucking are one of the most important." legislative and not a legislative judicious judicial branch people in the country one of you know what is it nine yeah one of nine one of the most nine important judges we have in this country and you believe in a fucking guy in a fucking spandex suit with horns and a pitchfork you fucking freak what is wrong with you you literally believe in the devil you shouldn't have your job the fucking devil, like and an actual physical devil. He refers to him in the interview as a person. Right. Like a person, like somebody like wakes up on a Wednesday. You know what I mean? Like the devil's like, oh, fuck. I slept like shit last night. Oh, I got to go <laughs> fucking torture Hitler for a minute. Hang on. That always oh. cheers me up. Like for fuck's sake, the devil. And how is this an argument? Like this is a person whose his livelihood, his, his, his reason to be is to hear people argue and to suss out the, the the most logical, the best arguments, the arguments that have the best legal standing. And his fucking defense of this is, if all my friends jumped off the bridge, I would too. Right, exactly. It's you the know? argument for popularity. And, and, and then just throwing out like, well, and Jesus believed in the devil. Oh, well, fuck me well, then. There gosh. you go. If Jesus believed in it, I mean, well... Let's get him on the phone and just double check that little factoid. Oh, what? Jesus isn't answering his fucking telephone? <laughs> well, that's because he's not a person, evidently. Oh, that minor fucking <laughs> It's so weird. It's like the devil is a person. Well, is God a person? Yeah, he's like fucking six foot four. He's got a great free throw percentage. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a cra- this is a 
a yeah. crazy thing for somebody. And I just – and. You know, when he looks at a reporter and he says something to me, you know, like, you travel in circles, you know, you're so far removed. And I want to be like, you need to be that far removed. Yeah. I'm pro-elitism. I really am. Like, the whole, like, well, we just should have an, an every man doing the job. No, we shouldn't. Yeah. We should have the best. We should have the best, the brightest, the most educated, you, you know – like, everybody uses that phrase, like, the ivory tower, like, it's a fucking derogatory. No, fuck that. If I've got somebody who's going to be one of the nine most important judges on the planet, arguably, and certainly in the country, that motherfucker needs to be so much better at judging. He needs yeah. to be so fucking smart. That, that guy needs to make me feel like a fucking pinhead. Every day when I wake up, I need to feel like I can barely tie my fucking shoes in front of that person. <laughs> he needs to be the Michael Jordan of litigation. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> right. It, there, there needs to be no way that when I think about something, he hasn't done that better. Right. There needs to be no subject where when Tom thinks about it, it's like, oh, well, Tom made a lot of sense on that one. <laughs> no. Hello. So, Cecil, this story comes from BuzzFeed.com. Taliban vows to again try and kill 16-year-old Malala Yousafzai. I'm probably horribly mispronouncing that. I'm sorry. Everybody knows her as Malala. Yeah. Um, So they said, if we get another chance, we will definitely kill her. And that will make us feel proud, members of the Taliban in Pakistan said. You know that you have fucked up all of your priorities. When you're thinking about shooting a 16-year-old girl and being like, oh, point of pride. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> point of pride. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, the thing is, is the Taliban's getting a bum rap on this. And, and this is actually has to do with the, the government in Pakistan. They passed that controversial No Child Left Alive Act. And, you know, with, with No Child Left Alive, they have to kill all the children. <laughs> That's true. That one barely squeaked by. It I mean, was... 16, you're close. <laughs> but the thing is, is that they started it when she was younger. Well, that, and you know, I mean, this is, this is Islam, right? So yeah. a woman is, or a girl is a marriageable woman at like eight. So like no child left behind. You're like, eh, they're not really children after about six. Because <laughs> you can <laughs> fucking marry them off, right? Because otherwise that would just be creepy. It would just be wrong, Cecil, and it's not. It's clearly not wrong. I, you know, this is a this is a girl who's she is out spending a lot of her time in the United States. She just did. I think she just got off the show, the Daily Show the other day. Oh, she, she was, was on the awesome. Daily Show. So she's she's doing all the right things, and you know, good for you, Taliban. Tell us what you really think. Good for you. Tell us that you would do this because you just make yourself more and more irrelevant every time you open your fucking mouth. Every time you say we we should kill her, you make yourself look like such a fucking fool that everybody in the world cannot take you seriously and thinks you're fucking worthless. So go ahead, sing the praises of Allah and tell them how that you need to shoot every smart girl in the face because it makes you look like a fucking idiot. And I, I love this quote um, from U.N. Secretary General uh, Ban Ki-moon. Extremists have shown what frightens them the most, a girl with a book. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking awesome. You fucking can't say a. it better, right? Fucking A. A long black cock, long black cock, a long 
So this story comes from TheExaminer.com. Rape victims sentenced to 200 lashes by Saudi court. Um, a, a woman who was raped, um, was she was raped and beaten by seven men. Um, and she was punished. And she was punished, uh, she was sentenced, I think, to 90 lashes until her uh, defense attorney spoke up at the injustice of her being sentenced to anything at all. And the judge basically shut him up, barred him from practicing law, and sentenced her to 200 lashes. Increased her sentence to punish him for defending her. Well, I mean, you know, look, you got to punish these women or else they're just going to go out and get raped again, Tom. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, teach them. You've got to punish. You've got to whip the fuck out of them. You've got to make their back bleed or else they're just going to go out and get raped again. And, And we can't have a society like that. How do you have a constructive world, you know, where women are just free to go around and be forcibly beaten and raped? I mean, you know, that's – yeah. Who wants that? Nobody, Nobody wants, wants that. that. And that's, specifically the Saudi Arabian government doesn't want that because they're obviously showing – they have a hard line on rape. They have a hard line and they make sure that the, that the rape victim receives as much punishment as possible. You know what I would do if – I mean seriously, if I lived there, I would just not be raped. Yeah, because I mean, that's, that's I mean, the best solution. Right, because you clearly... <laughs> oh my God, I can't even do this. I can't. It's so awful. So what the fuck are you even thinking? And the first thing I thought when I read this is I'm thinking, in Saudi Arabia, they look at fucking the Quran and they chew, the judges just chew shit. How the fuck are you a lawyer over there? I, like, know, what I do wondered you, that myself. I'm like, what do you even do? You just like you like point counterpoint the fucking Quran with them? I, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, um, well, I would like to cite case law. Nothing at all. <laughs> versus the people. I'd like to cite the Quran versus the people, the right. all of it. You know, I mean, seriously, is that what they do? Do they stand up in court and just read out of the holy book and try to, no, like, outdo each other with maybe. fucking quotes from their book? That, I don't I, know. I cannot even. And how many times does this fucking poor woman have to be fucking abused by the system? Like, she's, she's already beaten. She's raped by seven dudes. That's like the worst fucking thing. Yeah. Like that's, that probably was not a good time. That's I'm going the, on a limb here. That's all the worst thing. And then to be like, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're being arrested. Yeah. I'm uh, being arrested? What do you mean I'm being arrested? <laughs> oh, yeah, and then you're going to get 90 lashes. I object. 200 lashes. Fuck, what? It's like a bear eating off your leg and then you getting run over by the ambulance. Well, that sucked. Why is that even a country? I don't even know how they get – how do you get by? Like, like you know, it's so funny. We look at a place like North Korea where we say, oh, we're going to sanction them. You know, we're going to make sure we – you know, they do awful things. They put people in prison camps or whatever and stuff. Yet somehow we have a relationship with a country that beats rape victims. Right. You know, I mean – you don't want to. You don't want to be like, well, it's all because of the oil. But I'll tell you what, it's all because of the oil. Because <laughs> it's not because of the anything else. It's right. not. Remember, remember all those great technological achievements that came out of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Such as the um, oil. Oh man. <laughs> the oil. I guess. Yeah, it's the yeah. oil. It's pretty much yeah. just oil. They're they're fucking leading the lubrication front. You know, just just morally speaking, getting away from oil. And just being able to fucking say, fuck you, Saudi Arabia, would be such a joy, like such a great moral victory to be like, yeah, oh, my 
my cars are powered on fucking unicorn farts and rainbows. So yeah. eat a bag of dicks, <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah, I totally. And it is good that they are in, you know, that they produce so much oil and so much lubrication because they fuck their citizens like crazy. <laughs> yeah, they do. So this story comes from Why Not News. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Hey. Uh, Jewish world. Kosher phone. That's right. Kosher what? phone blocks crisis hotlines. Emergency numbers for mental counseling. Sexual assault victims are unavailable. For subscribers of kosher certified mobile service. How the fuck do you have a kosher certified mobile service? You have to put dill and like soak it in vinegar first? Yeah. You know what? Okay. So like a regular phone, you know, we're, they're getting smaller and smaller. Well, kosher, if you're familiar with kosher salt, it's just bigger salt, right? It's bigger crystals of salt. <laughs> so what they use is like the 1990s phones. Yeah, so that's a kosher that. phone. It's like a huge phone. It's like like you could call in airstrikes with that phone. <laughs> like that's how big it is. Every phone has like a huge like antenna. It's like a yeah. bag that you have to it's plug into your car. It's a bag, yeah. An antenna on the roof. Yeah. It's, it's basically a CB. Yeah. Like at this point, it's a fucking CB. It's like a, it's like a walk around ham radio. Yeah. Like like, oh, that's really hang on, let me call my buddy Breaker Breaker. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta yeah. tune him in. It's like yeah. you could, you've got like a fucking giant Vietnam era fucking backpack on. This is Yellow Jacket coming at you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, I want to think about this that, that is so crazy is that okay? First off, your phone, hilarious. I, I don't understand that. Did they have a halal phone that was sacrificed while it was looking up at a certain place? You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, what is the, the phone's phone? throat? Just yeah. like the phone's like, it doesn't like work. Smash it on the ground in the direction of Mecca. <laughs> but, um, but this, uh, this, this phone has certain numbers that don't work. And some of those numbers are like the, you know, kind of important. I mean, just important, like the rape crisis centers, you know, that's, Something you would like to have work. You know what? That doesn't seem like a selling point. <laughs> how do you even – I mean I, how, how do you even take this to the device manufacturer, right? How are you like, yes, it's a great phone, but it will call out for rape crisis. And you're like, yeah, we like, know. It calls numbers because that's what the phone that's does. That's a phone. Like yeah. I don't know how else to <laughs> – to tell you that, you know, is it's there like, way yeah. You can block the numbers that we want to block? Is there any way we can make sure that our most vulnerable portion of the population is not have access to resources with this phone? And then somebody has to say yes to that. Like somebody has to sit around a boardroom and be like, okay, I'll take this to the engineers. Engineers, is there any way we can make this phone like a misogynist, horrible version? Like I know it's like just a phone, but if there's any way. It can do damage to people specifically. Right. Short of electrocuting them with the battery <laughs> charge. Well, it's a huge phone, so the battery charge is big. You know what I mean? I mean you, you couldn't build a phone more dangerous than this unless you had fucking, like, spring-loaded razor blades in the earpiece. <laughs> like when you dial the wrong number. It's just it's like something on a Hellraiser. Like the hooks come in and just tear your flesh off. <laughs> When your body burns this stuff with no carbohydrates, what happens is you build up the clinkers and you get swollen joints, 
you, you, you get uh, uh, gout, you get all kinds of problems where you, you ache like crazy. Now, I know everybody, I mean, they thought Atkins was wonderful and they've got all these scientific tests, but that's the truth of it. If you don't have some carbs in there, the carbs are the fire that burn everything but completely. But it sounds like that's what they've discovered, is that there are carbs that are good carbs no, that you add to it. Not really. They, they're not adding anything. I mean, this thing is almost totally fat and protein, and you can eat cheese, and you can eat a lot of bacon and so forth. But sooner or later, it violates the principles that God set down. So this is kind of awesome. This is from Right Wing Watch. Pat Robertson reveals how low-carb diets violate God's principles and how halal foods fund terrorism. And by reveals, what I think they really mean to say is, he just says it. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it's not really much of a reveal. Yeah. It's like, he's not, not the Vanna White of revealing no, things. Here. He doesn't, like, do, like, a little gesture and, like, a sparkle dress and, like, yeah. turn it over. It, and it's actually, it's actually less information than Vanna provides. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, one bit worth of information. Because, provides. look, when Vanna turns over a D, it's right. demonstrably a D. Yeah, it is. When Pat Robertson says something, it's not demonstrably true. No. Like, it's actually less accurate than the Wheel of Fortune girl. What the fuck is he talking about in this thing? I, the first one is awesome. He talks about, like, if you eat proteins with no carbs, you get clunkers. What does that even mean? Does that mean, like, what is he saying? What is Isn't that, that like what he says, though? Does that, he yeah, say, it's like, you get clunkers. Like, you, like you drop a deuce and you break the bowl? Is that <laughs> what that means? Like, oh, yeah, you get clunkers. Well, like, I'm going to listen to it again. Hold on. When your body burns this stuff with no carbohydrates, what happens is you build up the clunkers. The clunkers? <laughs> you get clunkers. What the fuck is the clunker? Do you know anyone who's gotten the clankers? I don't even know. Like, well, I don't even know what that is. Let me look it up. Like, let me see. I'm going to go to WebMD here. It's like an old timey term for something. It must be, it's like, it's like, it's like it went out with the buggy whip. Like, I know. It's, it's, it's now. Did he say clankers? I don't. It's like referring to your couch as a Davenport. You know, just you're just like, like oh, it's, have a seat on the old Davenport. It's like, good chap. Oh, let me get you a beer out of the old icebox. <laughs> He's got uh, a bad case of the clankers. Like, hmm. hey, is that what he said, clank? Because I'm typing in clank. Cl nothing's coming up here. Clank. I'm, I'm just going to do a C-L-A-N-K. Let's see how that works. I'm just looking um, Results are zero. <laughs> so, Pat, I'm going to listen one more time. When your body burns this stuff with no carbohydrates, what happens is you build up the clinkers. Clinkers? Let me try clinkers. Um, yeah, he's so he's such a fucking blubber mouth. He can't really. <laughs> what the fuck is a clinker? No, but you get them if you have too many protein. <laughs> you eat too much proteins and not enough carbohydrates. You get the clinkers. Well, I it's mean, like it's like getting the consumption. I you know, know what right? I mean? <laughs> She's got the tuberculosis. <laughs> Putting a definite article in front of any name for a disease is hilarious. Because it just it just demonstrates that you don't know anything about that thing. It's like, it's oh, he's clankers. got the uh, he's got the cancers there. Oh. The clankers sound like really noisy neighbors. Like, you know, <laughs> well, kind I of live next to the clankers, and they never shut up. 
It doesn't he kind of rub his hands like a little bit? Like maybe Does the clankers are like we're trying to decipher what the fuck he's even talking about. He's just making up symptoms and diseases as he goes through. This guy is clearly insane. Like he's making up things, and then he's talking about like how you need carbs to like burn the fuel. It's like, look, dude, you put food in your stomach and you will fucking digest it because that's fucking that's millions of years of evolution at work right there. Yeah, it, and I like that he's like, it's the fire to burn all the rest oh, of the yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's like, the fire. That's oh, the fire. Because right. <laughs> I don't – you do know that that's – Yeah, that there's no such thing as no fire in your stomach. <laughs> actual fire. Like when they talk it's about like, a fire in your belly, yeah, they just mean you're motivated. Yeah. You know, Pat, they're not referring or to actual flames. you might have flames. had a chili pepper. You yeah, know what I mean? Right? Like, like, yeah, oh, I got a little fire in my belly. Oh, yeah. some fucking Rolaids will take care of that. Yeah. You're just fine in the morning. Um, and then he also has a video where he's just like – Talking about – somebody writes in and say like, hey, is it OK if I eat halal foods, like foods that are – and halal foods are just, you know, just foods that are butchered in a way that's consistent with the, you know, Quran or what have you. You got to make sure the animal's last fucking sight is vaguely toward Mecca, I guess, before you slit its throat. Um, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's not a problem. Like the butchering of the animal, he doesn't have an issue with. But what he's got an issue with is that his team, Cecil – his team. His team has learned that the prophets go to the Muslim Brotherhood. What is the uniform his team wears? I'm just I, wondering. It's just cod pieces. Is it a white shirt with a white tie? <laughs> <laughs> a skinny well, white you know, tie. Okay, so, so this halal thing. You know, he's like, I don't have a problem with how it's butchered. I just have a problem with that the butchers basically are owned by the Muslim Brotherhood. Like, is that what he's saying? Like, because that's the dumbest thing. Like, what? Immediately, they're like, oh, the, the Muslim Brotherhood comes in and be like, hey, this nice butcher shop. Be a shame if something were to happen to it. Right, you know what I mean? Like, right. what are they, fucking the enforcers? They come by and collect their their kickback for slaughtering a meat in this way? Like, what is that even? I don't fucking just give me some information <laughs> that's useful besides fucking anonymous hearsay, Pat Robertson. But I heard it on Pat Robertson's oh, show. It must gosh. be true. Well, he wouldn't say it. Look. A 700-year-old man has no reason to lie to me. <laughs> Methuselah there does not have any reason. Yeah, next year it's going to be the 701 Club. <laughs> you want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! So this story comes from NewZimbabwe.com. Uh, flying witches and Africans. Um, this story is insane, uh, and it deals with a law which was passed which prevents witches on brooms from right. flying more than 150 meters. Like, there's a – I guess when you're driving a car, you've got a speed limit. Right. And when you are a witch riding a broom, you have an altitude limit. Um, what? Because that's a thing in Zimbabwe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose you're not actually worried about airplanes at that point. Like your culture has not yeah. progressed to the point where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, airplane traffic. Instead, you're like, mm, fucking witches on brooms. That's what we need to legislate. <laughs> we've solved all of other Zimbabwe's problems. Now we've got to deal with these high flying witches. They have like aircraft controllers that are like werewolves and Frankenstein's. <laughs> <laughs> like it should be. It'd be awesome. If it was just Count Chocula, Count Chocula. And like Booberry. <laughs> can you even play Quidditch at 150 meters? I don't think you can. That's probably I think you, part of the. Problem. I think you have to. I think you have to go higher than that. Maybe there was just like a. They just didn't like people doing that. Well, maybe they were mad that they were poking holes in all their clouds. 
You that's, know? Oh, that's true. Because you, yeah. you wouldn't want to hit one and no. then knock it down, and then there'd no. be a fucking cloud accident. <laughs> I don't even understand what you're preventing. <laughs> what is, you know, sometimes we get mad at our legislative branch for doing stupid shit. This is the dumbest thing that I ever spent time on. <laughs> it's awesome. You, you, you've got to think, too, that part of the reason that you would pass legislation like this is for the safety of the witches. Right. You know, at, after a certain altitude, you know, you've really got to have some serious safety gear. And most of these brooms, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen the crash test video of these witch brooms. Yeah, Most yeah, of these so brooms are simply not equipped they're to not, deal with high altitude right, flying. You know, they right. don't have the proper uh, storage compartments and gas and air. Yeah. The airbags don't deploy very quickly. Right. When go, yeah, at that height, the coldness, too. Another thing, too, is that their clothes, the clothes they wear, is it's not enough. I, I, we all know that witches wear cloaks, but that's just not enough to cover their body and their extremities when they're flying at such great heights. 150 meters, you know, that's, that's a pretty good distance up in the air. But, we're, you know, higher than that, you're starting to get a little nippy in the air. Hey, you go up to 1,000 feet. You know, I don't know what that is in meters. That's a lot of meters but you go up that high and you know i mean gosh you, you're starting to get a little cold there you need face protection and witches they have those long noses and those noses are very prone to frostbite that's what i hear anyway what? from Plus, zimbabweans if some it's Zim, a zimbabweans right. Zim, Zim, zimbia zimbabweans zimbabweans <laughs> that needs to be a thing it's not that a is thing a, it is now it's, that's a thing yeah. You know, plus if it's like if it's a passenger, uh, you know, broom, you really need to right. watch out for the safety of the other parties. You, you do on the broom. You can't because you 150 meters. That's a survivable fall. Right. If shit goes south, if you're a witch, it's a survivable fall. Yeah, you're fine. You're just like whatever. It's only 150 meters. Right. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. It's like 475 feet or something. Right. That's you're, yeah. You're golden. You you're bounce fine. a couple of times. Yeah. You fucking land right in your cauldron. You're like a cat. It's, like you're yeah, like it's a, no problem. Land on your feet. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, you're, you're land on your feet with your back arched because. But you shit know. is sketchy after right. 150 meters. Sure. So we're gonna take a break. When we come back, uh, Bob from all the places is going to be here. Bob Blaskowitz, Blagojevich. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bob. Your name is totally pronounceable. Bob Blaskowitz is going to be on. Um, and he is going to uh, tell us all about the Brzezinski trials and the uh, Brzezinski clinic and kind of what's going on there. So stay tuned for that interview. Tuned? Do people tune anymore? They don't. They no. don't. Huh? No. Yeah, you fucked that up. I... Want to contact Cognitive Dissonance? Visit them on Facebook. You can find the link at the website dissonancepod.com or type it in the Facebook search bar. Be sure to follow the guys on Twitter. Their handle is at dissonance underscore pod. The guys also post to Google Plus now, too, so check them out there. And if you'd like to email them, you can do so at dissonance.podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment on the blog at their webpage or give them a call at 740-74-DOUBT. That's 740-743-6828. Long-distance rate supply. And to everyone who listens, shares, retweets, or rates the show... Cognitive Dissonance would like to cordially thank you for all of your fucking support. So uh, we are here talking to Robert Blaskowitz, uh, and he did a talk this year at TAM, and we wanted to get him on the show. So what we wanted to do first is uh, just have Robert introduce himself uh, to the audience. So, Robert, 
Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Bob Blaskowitz. I'm a writing teacher in Wisconsin. Um, but by night, I'm a skeptical activist. Um, I write at skepticalhumanities.com. That's my blog. Um, I also appear on the Virtual Skeptics, uh, a Google Plus Hangout show. Uh, I also contribute a monthly essay to Skepticality. Um, I'm the CSI's Conspiracy Guy web columnist. And I contribute to the JREF Swift blog. Wow, make us all look like crap. Well, that's, you know? yeah, that's <laughs> way, way to go, Bob. You know, like, I, you know, here I am half-assing half of this show. Yeah. And uh, half. You know, you've got half. Half, right. <laughs> Cecil, I'm being generous. <laughs> oh, I broke Cecil. That was the only Cecil oh, I had. That's I awesome. That's the best thing I heard all day. <laughs> it's, that's good it's a stuff. full... Half is like 20%, right? That's what half is. <laughs> that is. Right? That's, yeah, it depends that's on That's how your we're math. doing that these sure. days. Yeah. No, that's that's an impressive uh, array of skeptical credentials, my friend. But thank you. You know, <laughs> as, as opposed to my credentials, which include and <laughs> and that's pretty much it. The entirety of yeah, my pretty CV. Much, pretty much. Bob, you were kind enough to give a talk at TAM, and our listeners were foolish enough to have sent us to TAM. So Cecil and I heard your talk at TAM. And you know, both Cecil and I felt immediately um, during the talk and then after, we both kind of looked over at each other and said, we've got to get this guy on the show. Um, you gave a talk. You were g- giving a lot of information about um, patient case histories um, related to the Brzezinski uh, trials, the Brzezinski Clinic. Um, your talk was extraordinarily powerful. In terms of total emotional impact, it was the most powerful talk at TAM, um, hands down. There wasn't anything in the same ballpark. Um, so first, I think Cecil and I both want to tell you thank you for coming on our show. Mm, my pleasure. Uh, we genuinely do appreciate it. Um, and if, if you could give us – I'm not asking you to recreate your, your TAM talk, but if, if you'd be so kind as to kind of – uh, give us an overview as to what that talk uh, was about so our listeners could sort of start off on the same page and then we can jump off from there. I would certainly appreciate that. Oh, sure. Um, the the talk that I gave was uh, – sh- I had shared time with, with David Gorski, uh, an oncologist uh, in Detroit um, who has been working with me on a topic uh, for about the last two years and that's the Brzezinski Clinic. Uh, the Brzezinski Clinic is in Houston. It's been operating since the late 70s and early 80s. And uh, for that time, they've been uh, treating patients with a chemotherapy known as antineoplastins. Um, it's billed as an alternative uh, to chemotherapy, but by any reasonable definition, it's a chemotherapy. Um, and th- what's so extraordinary about this, however, is that uh, he claims to have discovered um, something that, that uh, an endogenous compound that prevents cancer from forming in human urine uh, and, and blood. And he synthesized this and mass produces it at a facility uh, that he also owns. Uh, and he, he's called it antineoplastins or anti-cancers. Um, and the, the, the problem is, you know, we're all for experimental therapies Uh, But he's been unable to complete a clinical trial for the last 15 years, having started over 60 of them. Uh, These, after 35 years, are still an unproven treatment. 
And 35 years is long enough, especially when the turnover rate for the cancers he's treating is is so quick. He should have results by now, and he just doesn't. Um, and so uh, I got involved with this when uh, Reese Morgan, uh, a writer and blogger and high school student at the time in Wales, uh, started receiving threats from someone who had been hired by the Brzezinski Clinic to clean up his online reputation. Uh, and uh, that went well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that – now, is that – I think I saw that. Is that where they um, – somebody pretended to be an attorney? Is that the one where they – Sure. They were not like actually you, an attorney he, and they were sort of throwing out some legal uh, cease and desist sort of language out there? Yes. Um that's exactly what happened. Um, the, the person uh, really did try to speak legal language, but they also threatened an actual lawyer. Um, and so, generally, not a good idea. That was that. It actually uh, landed one of the best lines I think in all of skeptical discourse was was when Pope Hat told him to snort his taint. Um, <laughs> That was just the mother of all smackdowns. But That's yeah, awesome. But, but what they did, and this, it, it went from just like you know, you're not being accurate to we're going to send, uh, you know, we're going to file a lawsuit for defamation against you. And in the UK, the defamation laws are really serious. They favor the the plaintiff, and they can bankrupt people. Um, not only did they threaten him with this, uh, but the the guy uh, sent Reese a picture of his house. Clearly, the Whoa. message the message is we know where you live. So um, Reese doesn't take this type of thing lying down, um, and he started to raise awareness about this. And at that time, uh, this was November of eleven, two thousand eleven. Um, I decided to see you know just a blog about it at Skeptical Humanities and. Uh, so I went back into the databases. The I have access to. You know, I had access to university databases, uh, and looked for instances of patients who appeared in the press, usually begging for money, uh, to, uh, and to, to see what their outcomes were. And for something like out of seventeen patients, uh, sixteen were dead. Oh, um, so oh my goodness! Clearly, what's happening um, is not. Uh, and, and that's the first random sample that you see. Uh, his the people who've gone to him and have survived. Um, uh, totally credit Brzezinski with saving uh, their lives. Um, and those stories are very very powerful. However, they're not uh, they're not representative of the whole. Um, in the, the time since that, um, additional uh, actions against skeptics uh, were perpetrated. Uh, one of which was a uh, a website that defamed James Randi and people who had written about the Reese Morgan affair um, and labeled them as pedophiles. I was on that list. Um, I was listed next to uh, Simon Singh and and uh, Stephen Fry, like two of my heroes. Um, so that was the best defamation ever. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. It's the coolest pedophile club ever. Absolutely. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it was a um, uh, – that kind of like – just I kind of dug in at that point. Um, and ever since then have been looking for ways to make sure that good information gets in front of uh, 
uh, in front of cancer patients who may be tempted to look for alternative uh, treatments in Houston. So you had said that he has had 35 years at this point. Yes. Um, to produce. Um, now, what? how long typically does it take to produce? You know, so you've got a treatment, you know, you're, you're working on something, you think, okay, I've got, you know, I've got a promising area of research here, um, and I'm going to go ahead and explore this with human trials. So you've right. gotten through, and now you're at the human trial stage. Uh, uh, 35 years, how excessive is that by comparison to the norm? Um, as best I can tell, I don't do, uh, you know, clinical trial research myself, um, but I believe it's freaking bonkers. that's exactly the answer i was looking for because that strikes me as an impossibly long time yeah to not have answers yeah i mean let's just say the 15 years where he's been required to uh uh only distribute antineoplastins under the the auspices of a clinical trial um you know, any number of small startup companies who didn't have the 20-year head start and funding, uh, you know, they could have gotten backers. They could have applied for government grants. Um, they could have uh, produced these trials and come to some resolution and up or down on whether or not these are more effective than chance. And he, he's never been able to do that, apparently. And how many papers, like how many peer-reviewed clinical trials has he released? Oh, um, let me count. One, two, three, zero. zero. Uh, that's yeah, not very zero. many. Yeah. yeah. That's about so as much work as I do for this show. Like, I know zero. So now, with regular clinical trials, is is do you have to, I mean, like, do you just go in? So does he give this away for free to people? Well, that, that's what he, he, he says, um, that it's it's given for free. That, um, uh, But it, it does cost quite a bit of money to start on these clinical trials. That's abnormal. Um, in the uh, clinical trial world, um, there are some rare cases where you might expect a patient to pay, um, but the consensus seems to be among the people I've talked to that this is not one of those cases. You you said you specialize in some patient stories and in some uh, in some in some storytelling that that happens around uh, what what this clinic does. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, well, the the I work with a couple of people on a. A website uh, called the Other Brzezinski Patient Group. One of the uh, features of of the the Brzezinski Clinic um, and how it, it's publicized is that this, the people who have survived going there, um, and many people who are hoping to survive by going there. So it's current and um, and former patients. Uh, they promote him. Uh, aggressively, and uh, they tell their stories, and their stories are powerful and and overwhelming sometimes. Um, and you know, this is the the classic you know quack move is is to depend on testimonials instead of of verifiable evidence. Um, the, the we know as skeptics what the problem with with testimonials are, um, uh, and and. Uh, you know, eyewitness re- well, not exactly eyewitness reports, but the problem with testimonials in cases like in cases like this is that these people have had combinations of therapies. They've done sure. other alternative therapies. What what caused it? We need to have a a mechanism for screening out the uh, false positives. You know, the misdiagnoses, the spontaneous remissions, uh, and that sort of thing uh, from a, a real signal. 
Um, and instead of that, he relies on these testimonials and the, and the, uh, the problem is that no amount of bad evidence equals a single bit of good evidence. Um, but it's still very persuasive. And so up until about a, a year ago, all you would see online was uncritical praise of Brzezinski and the alt, uh, med community. Um, and so our thought was, well, he doesn't have a, a monopoly on on stories. Surely other people were telling stories as well um, about their treatment and experiences there. And so we started to collect names. Um, at this point, we have, I think, over 500 names um, of people who uh, expressed interest in or uh, contacted the clinic. Uh, it's a running tally, so we keep uh, adding more. Um, and we've been researching these stories and been telling them in the patient's own words uh, over at the, the other Brzezinski patient group. And we have over um, it's over 50 stories, probably about 60. I think our, our patient group is now bigger than the one that's had 35 years to accumulate survivors. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any idea how many people have been treated at the Brzezinski Clinic? Is, there, is, there, is that a known quantity since he's not – publishing clinical trials well how heard, much do we know yeah that's 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 a tough one um and uh the the most recent figure that i heard from a, a patient uh was and this was maybe a year or so ago that something like he was told eight thousand patients oh um, uh, and i've heard higher numbers much higher numbers in more recent uh publications but you know I'll, I'll i'll go with that one um uh i'd say that's a a, a good estimate eight thousand patients and and do we have any idea what the mortality of the eight thousand i mean how many of those folks i'm sure because obviously none of this is published right isn't that i mean that's like one of the things we do like in science i shouldn't say we i don't do any science i don't even do any work but like that's one of the things that science is kind of known for right is quantifying this information so right is, is there any estimate of, of how many of those patients survived, like a five-year survival rate of that 8,000? Is that a known yeah. quantity or no? Well, uh, it, it depends on who you talk to. Um, we don't have any reliable numbers, but there, there's an interesting story of a, a family in the UK, uh, the, the family of Amelia S. Um, they went to um, – Brzezinski about about a year ago, uh, she had a one of these these really bad tumors. It's a called an intrinsic uh, pontine uh, glioma, and it's so it's growing on the on the brain stem, and it's oh. it's one of these tumors that it, it it it's like the survival rate is very very low. There are a couple of reports in the literature of people who've had spontaneous remissions, but don't count on it. Um, the treatment is difficult. Uh, a developing brain does not handle the radiation very well. Um, the chemotherapy is, is horrible uh, on these poor kids. Um, it's not a good diagnosis. It's generally considered to be fatal. Um, when they, uh, according to a, a report in the uh, uh, get reading of the local newspaper uh, uh, after their daughter had died, um, they said that they'd been given a 54% chance of survival with the clinical trial in Houston. Um, her 
this is a quote, however, Chantal S. 36, that's her mother, quote, believes the actual figure was just 1%. Um, uh, she's in, in the BBC uh, documentary that was produced uh, in the spring, the number of skeptics were, were interviewed for. Um, Mrs. Saunders said, quote, I think that's wrong, the 54% figure. I think that's a complete lie. I think 1% is a more accurate figure. Um, and, you know, the, the father kind of rationalizes this um, uh, by saying that uh, he'd only found two patients who had survived this rare brain tumor um, and said that, quote, it didn't work for Amelia, but we absolutely know it works for other people, but they don't. That's, that's the problem. We, we haven't separated the, the noise from the signal. Um, and this is, this is actually a, a, a pretty significant statement on the part of this family because they were his biggest supporters. They gave him so much press in the UK raising money for their daughter. Um, they raised, I think it was close to 200,000, uh, 200,000 pounds, I think, um, uh, to get her treated. Um, they didn't use it all. Uh, she didn't survive past January, but, um, uh, they donated it to the children's hospice, uh, where, uh, they treated her in the last days. You know, one thing that occurs to me when you're talking about the story of Amelia, um, and I think I actually I read that story or at least a story very, very similar to it um, online at, at some length. Um, one thing that, that occurs to me uh, is if you're the parent, you know, and, and you've got to believe, right? I mean, that's like you've got to believe that this worked um, for other people, that you didn't waste your time, that you didn't solicit the funds of generous people and squander them on uh, an unproven, untested, uh, you know, quack treatment. You have to believe that that's, that's an emotional requirement. And that's why emotion and, and anecdotes, um, and testimony are totally powerful, but incredibly not science. Like that's like, that's, that's exactly antithetical to what we should be striving for. Because right. if I'm that if I'm that parent, I'm saying the same thing. I know this worked for other people. It has to have worked for other people. If it didn't, I fucked up. If it, if if it didn't, I did wrong by my daughter. That I can't, you know, emotionally you just you just there's some shit you just have to kind of compartmentalize and seal off and be like, "Oh, that's not for me." So, you know, getting these stories out um the other side of this of the case, because I remember one of the things that you said to Tam is that part of the reason that, that some of these other stories don't come out is because the other people don't live long enough. And one of the things I remember hearing you, you talk about is, you know, there has to be somebody the, to, to survive in order to pursue, in order to sue, in order to take legal action. And if the families have to compartmentalize emotionally, oftentimes their sort of their role, their uh, complicit role in this treatment system who's left to act on behalf of these patients that's 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 a good point and uh complaints that are you know there are also other problems since we started this uh, a number of former patients have gotten into contact with with skeptics um and wanted to know what they can do uh patients and their families want to know what what they can do um, we've kind of uh, sketched what recourse is available to them um, with the, the medical board um, and with other authorities. Um, and, you know, I believe some of them have, have, have pursued that 
option. Um, but for the most part, these people have not had good news for a long time. Absolutely yeah. no good news yeah. whatsoever. Sure. These patients report that they have a 60% chance suddenly of surviving. Um, when you've been told that there's a 2% chance, um, that there's no hope, that palliative care is, is all that's left for you, you you bite down hard on that and uh, you put everything you can into that. Um, and that, that usually, or not, if not usually, very often – bankrupts the family. Um, they, they can go into deep debt. You know, if it costs $30,000 to start this clinical trial up front, um, and then on top of that, it's $7,500 uh, per month for treatment uh, because you can only get it from Brzezinski, uh, at least the, the, the antineoplastins. Um, that's, uh, that's a huge, huge emotional and financial loss on the part of patients. Um, so the wherewithal to, to pursue it, even if they decide that, that they want to pursue some sort of action, um, they may not have the wherewithal to do it. Now, I'm looking at the American Cancer Society's website right now. Mm-hmm. And on the American Cancer Society's website, I'm going to quote directly from the American Cancer Society website here. It says, no randomized control trial showing the effectiveness of antineoplastins have been published in the peer-reviewed scientific literature. In other words, there are no convincing evidence showing that antineoplastins actually work. Now, this is on the American Cancer Society website. Uh, you know, it, it, you did, did, did you say earlier that the antineoplastin therapy is, is no longer going on? Um, the antineoplastin therapy has been suspended for about a year, I think since about June of last year, when a, uh, according to an SEC filing by the clinic, uh, the, the, the trials were suspended. It's called a, um, a partial clinical hold was, was declared because a child had died. Um, this child, um, you know, we're not exactly sure who it was. Um, you know, we have some ideas based on our database about the right time and stuff, but, um, but there are no new trials starting up. Uh, in fact, if you go to the clinicaltrials.gov where the 60, uh, over 60 clinical trials are, are registered, um, uh, some of them are withdrawn. Most of the status is unknown, uh, based on a, a document that was released by the FDA about you know, two weeks ago, maybe. Um, we don't expect uh, the antineoplastin trials to start up and again anytime soon. Um, That's good news. That is good news. However, uh, it, it it doesn't seem to the people who are still raising money uh, like that message is is getting communicated to them. They 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 are still you know looking for antineoplastins, um, and uh, even though Brzezinski isn't you know uh, promoting them anymore on his website you'll notice that he doesn't talk about them at all and there's a reason for it so there's a there's a movie i think on netflix that talks about the brzezinski clinic do you know anything about that movie i'm in the sequel (laughs) you're in the sequel (laughs) yeah yeah um i'm i play the the role of bob evil um (laughs) you strike me as particularly evil yeah you know i get that a lot (laughs) It's usually around exam time, but you know. Um, but yeah, uh, the uh, the Brzezinski movie series is done by a guy by the name of Eric Marola. Um, he 
you know, did the first uh, movie a couple of years ago, um, and he talked about, you know, he shows about four patients, uh, four cases, and this is used as definitive proof that it works, which, of course, we know can't possibly be true. And uh, when it's reviewed by oncologists who know what they're looking for, uh, they see some holes in these cases that lead them to doubt whether or not the antineoplastins were having any effect. For instance, the tumor size doesn't track to either the dose or the time on treatment. That's weird. Um, you know, uh, things like that stick out that wouldn't occur to uh, a director necessarily. Um, so that that one it didn't do much until it ended up on Joe Mercola's site. Um, and then it kind of went crazy. Um, and so that was the, 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 the biggest completely uncritical uh, uh, endorsement of Brzezinski. Um, then this past spring, uh, the second Brzezinski movie was released. And in that one, um, there was actually a whole section about skeptics and how bad and evil they were. Um, and my take... You know what? What they did was uh, uh, took snippets from my web show, um, where we were talking about the the Brzezinski Clinic, uh, and then okay. So what they did, they they took out things that they they you know points they wanted to make uh, and refute. But behind my voice, first of all, they blurred our faces, covered our names, and played like evil like politics. <laughs> you know like. Like uh, uh, like pipe organ music, like ominous, yeah, ominous, really ominous music. like like this. Is it like Photoshop, like a half Phantom of the Opera mask over you? <laughs> yeah, Did they put a huge handlebar mustache on you. I know. They've if, got, if, they've if got you tying up skill, a damsel. If he had the skill, which he doesn't, he would have. <laughs> That's awesome. You know? And and so we you're were, tying Brzezinski to a train track. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, it really is so far over the top. It's like a dirty political ad. And I don't oh, know nice. if he realizes how um, uh, how ridiculous it looks. <laughs> um, but that's fine. I mean, he's a true believer. Um, th- th- we knew that we were going to be in this movie because I had received uh, a phone call from the lawyer at my university saying that the chancellor's office had re- received a-, a letter um, from this, this clown, um, the director – um, saying that he was going to put me in his in his movie, and he wanted a comment from my university about what I did, quote, in my free time. Why a university which cherishes free speech and is built right. on free speech would have anything to say about what I do in my spare time is beyond me. Um, but at the at the very end, he had this little disclaimer that Mr. Blaskowitz is not supposed to know about this. Um, and and so we had a good chuckle about that when I got to the, the lawyer's office. Um, you know, I checked with the lawyer, um, before I did anything with it. Um, and then we used that to kick off the Brzezinski birthday bash. Um, I announced that my, my, uh, employer, uh, had been told that I was going to basically get smeared in front in, in millions of homes, um, you know, and shared the letter with people, and we used that to launch our campaign to raise money for St. Jude Children's Hospital. Oh, good, good. Yeah, in, now, in Brzezinski's name, mind you. That is that is spectacular. Now, we have uh, 
an amazing group of people who listen to the show. I have no idea why they listen to this show, um, but they do. And they, they are motivated. They, uh, they are the type of people who, when there's a call to action, they, they do, they do normally, uh, follow through with that call to action. Now, what is something that are you involved in any, in any way, uh, in anything that, that you could help sort of, uh, organize some of the people who listen to this show to, to help you out in some way? Yeah. Your listeners can, uh, Get in contact with me um, via uh, email or on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I'm RJ Blaskowitz. It, it's spelled like it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have it on the show notes for yeah. this episode, episode yeah. 120. Yeah, just have so. them contact me. Um, uh, I am happy to um, hear ideas. Um, and, you know, some of the best stuff that we've done has been kind of brainstorming the 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 Brzezinski birthday bash is a, a case in point um, one thing I do want to mention and you didn't ask the question specifically um, but it strikes me as very very important to the stories that we've uh, sifted uh, out from the internet following Facebook looking at Twitter streams and blogs um, and news coverage um, one thing that we noticed, um, over the course of our uh, uh, investigations was that a lot of patients were reporting excitedly um, that, uh, and this started with, with Amelia, um, we, we first noticed it with her, um, that her father was very, very excited that the tumor was breaking up on the inside. And as Gorski uh pointed out, this is actually not something you want to hear because it means that the tumor has outgrown its blood supply. So the tumor is dying on the inside, but it's not a sign of improvement. And, you know, this family was ecstatic that it was dying on the inside. And so Gorski wrote a, a post explaining this um, and in, encouraging the, 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 the family of Amelia to get a second opinion with someone who could evaluate this. Um, and of course, uh, back in the UK at the, at the hospital there, they said, yes, the tumor is still growing and it's time to go to palliative care, which they did. Um, and the, that got us looking back through our other cases that we'd already written up. Um, and we noticed a pattern that this particular prognosis was being celebrated by patient after patient after patient. Um, and I can go back to 1994 finding this. Um, what you would expect would be that either a, a tumor would be shrinking from the outside in or it would be breaking up like disgusting Swiss cheese. Um, but over and over and over, going back to 94, and God knows how far back, really, um, you see people excitingly, uh, excitedly declaring that the, the tumor is dying on the inside. And so we have lots of people reporting that signs of getting worse are signs of getting better. Um, and that strikes us as really quite disturbing. Um, we don't know why that is. We don't have access to their files. We don't have access to the conversations that they have at the clinic. But it seems to be a very strange thing for so many people to be reporting. After uh, uh, Amelia died, their, that family was interviewed in the, the movie and there's this uh, – when they discuss what happened in the, the second Brzezinski movie, I can read you a, a, a quote from the, 
from the, the screen, two months after this interview, Amelia's tumor began to swell and fill with fluid. There was confusion and disagreement among their local radiologists and the radiologists in Houston about why this was happening. So her parents decided to discontinue antineoplastin therapy. Then they cut to a picture of Amelia's oh, obituary. No. They, oh, no. They go to Amelia's obituary and says, uh, they say, quote, Amelia passed away with her parents by her side on January 6, 2013. And I find that to be absolutely inexcusable. Um, I, I'm, it's, it's amazing that people can think that they can get away with that type of stuff. First of all, saying there was confusion and disagreement. No, one side was right and the other side was absolutely wrong. Um, and when it goes back so far, you have to wonder. Um, and the way that the blame is kind of shifted over to, to the family, I, I find to be execrable. Yeah, that's just yeah. inexcusably awful. I, I I wonder, are you aware of any other um, clinical trials for any treatment of any kind that require a uh, movie to support them? <laughs> because that's not, I mean, I've never seen any, any movies with sequels, nonetheless, yeah. about uh. clinical trials. Because typically I don't think that's how how they report you know, no, science. It's, it, it's it's generally not how it's done. In fact, it's yeah. a really bad sign. It, this is worse than science by press release. This is, you know, <laughs> um, uh, it, it's propaganda. I mean, you, you there's only one side presented. It's, yeah. it's, it's separated into a world of light, uh, you know, of light and darkness. Um, right. I'm, I'm darkness. Um, and uh, embrace it, Robert. Yeah, I know. It. I That's know. probably why we had the Skype problems. It, it maybe is. you brought too yeah. much darkness to the yeah. table. A little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, Windows 8 doesn't play well with darkness. <laughs> oh, actually, Windows 8 is darkness. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, Robert, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about about your work. Um, why, if, if we're going to send the listeners to uh, to a we- the website where you, know, you talk about the stories, and we'll also have links on uh, an episode one twenty to all the other stuff you do. But uh, but keep fighting the good fight, and, and thank you for all that you do. I mean, this is this is really amazing work. All the stuff that you put together. Thanks very much. We appreciate it. So we wanted to mention that we were on Skeptically Challenged. Uh, Ross was nice enough to interview us. Ross was a hoot. He was a funny guy. We had a blast on his show. I'm going to put a link to his show uh, in our show notes. Um, but it's an hour long, and uh, and it's there, there's a video portion, but he didn't get video of us, and you wouldn't want to see video of us anyway. But, uh, but there's a video portion on his website, but there's also an audio download that you can listen to. Um, directly from iTunes. Uh, I think it turned out pretty good. Uh, Ross was a very good uh, interviewer. He interviewed us very briefly, and then we also talked about some news items and kind of did a little cognitive dissonance thing on his show. And it was fun. He was a funny guy, and he had a lot of fun. Uh, he had a lot of funny things to say. So give him a listen if you can. It's skeptically challenged. I'll put a link on episode 120's uh, show notes. We want to also thank John and Sophie for their generous donations. Thank you very much for sending in money. Uh, to help support the show, that's going to go a long way to uh, to uh, the hosting of the uh, of both the podcast and of the website. 
So we got an email. Um, I messed up last time, and a lot of people pointed this out. Though. This wasn't last time. This is fucking ages ago at this point that I called uh, Revelation Revelations. I guess that's a big deal. A lot of people like to point that out. But, uh, but we got an email from Don here, and why don't we just let his words speak for him, Tom? Why don't you read both of his emails here? Sure. Uh, he said, uh, I spend much of my time listening to lectures, podcasts, and programs from the atheist community because I am genuinely interested in the arguments frequently presented. As a Christian, I believe it is necessary to know how to give answer to objections. For whatever credit I once gave you to assist me in understanding something, you totally destroyed every shred of credibility in your Revelations Sucks episode. I could go through bit by bit and explain why certain things were troublesome, but suffice it to say that you obvious suffice it to say it is obvious you don't know your subject, and worse, don't care to know your subject, all the while ferociously pretending to attack it. See, even your attempts to, at attack were meaningless because they were all simply absurd, misguided assumptions regarding Christianity in general and the book of Revelation, no S, specifically. It would serve you well to consult just one decent commentary. Let's say Matthew Henry, for example. It's free online, for Pete's sake. Then you'd at least have some, his emphasis, understanding of the literary devices used uh, in the book and the historical references as well. Would you mock and ridicule a science textbook you found yourself incapable of comprehending? Would you do the same to Shakespeare? Honestly, I'm not writing because you made me angry. I'm simply hoping to give you some useful feedback. If a person is going to presume to critique, at least have the courtesy to respectfully critique fairly. Now, I know you have no respect for the Bible, God, or Christians, and that's fine. But again, in my opinion, you did more damage to your own credibility rather than offer anything of substance for us to take you seriously. Hoping for something better in the future. Well, Tom, Tom then replied to him and said, you know, that's all well and good, but here's the thing. How is Revelation supposed to be interpreted? Because, you know, I mean, come on, let's, 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 you know, there's a million different interpretations out there. How is it supposed to be interpreted? And how are we supposed to take it as a 20th century people? Um, and he said, you know, he came back and he said, well, at least you're consistent. You have no biblical understanding whatsoever. Do not care to have any biblical understanding. And yet you're going to take up a biblical topic and attempt to rip it to shreds based on your admitted ignorance. That only makes you come across as a couple of whining adolescents, but lacking any substantial argument. I mentioned I could take the show bit by bit and address any of your objections. Now I think I'm motivated to do so, given that you insist upon your course. Cognitive dissonance, huh? We'll put that to the test. Yeah, the, you know, the argument that he's making is that, you know, well, you guys just didn't understand it. Well, great. Get out your objective revelation measuring stick. You know, get out, get out your big book of here's what it really means, um, and then we can talk. But there is no big book of here's what it fucking really means. That's the argument you constantly hear. Well, you just really didn't understand. You, you're, mis you're reading it wrong. You're misinterpreting it. You don't have the historical background. You don't have all the facts. Really? Okay, great. So this is a divinely inspired work meant to speak to all people across all time. That's what it's for. It was divinely inspired by a literally perfect being to communicate a message. And yet that message is this unclear that we even have a conversation about it. I mean, I tell my son, go to bed. I don't tell my son, and verily there will be fucking locusts if thou dost get, you know, uh, fucking just tell you to go to bed, right? This could be written in ways that are clear across time and space. 
It's not written that way. It's written in an incredibly parochial fashion because it's an incredibly parochial book. End of fucking story. So, Tom, um, David sent in a link to uh, to women who are going to explodinate their ovaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this is awesome. This is a. Uh, I, I actually saw this this week, and I meant to, to tweet it as well. So I'm glad he sent it to us. It's from CNN. <clears throat> Saudi cleric warns driving could damage women's ovaries. Um, what a fucking lunatic! What an absolute fucking lunatic! Um, that if a woman drives a car, he says, it could have a negative physiological impact. And this is my favorite part. Medical studies show that it would automatically affect a woman's ovaries and that it pushes the pelvis upward. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you sit in a chair to drive a car. <laughs> a chair, dude. It's they have a, a very different, very different front seats. Right. What is going on in a Saudi Arabian automobile? Like, is the driver's seat fucking configured geometrically different uh, than the passenger seat? It's just like broken glass. Like, <laughs> you just like, you step like on the gas and all this. Chisels and sharp awls and just shit you have to sit on that'll just pierce you and destroy you. Like you, you hit the gas and like Saudi Arabian cars just fucking shoot owls at your crotch. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> What's happening? We got an email from Aldo, and he says, Hi there. I saw a link on your site to a Think Progress article about the prison system and wanted to suggest a follow-up to your readers. And he puts a link here, and I will put this link uh, in the show notes. Um, He says, My team is promoting this infographic that uncovers many problems with the prison system, specifically for-profit prison corporations like the CCA and the GEO group. Uh, I think this might generate some discussion from your audience. Uh, if you decide to share, uh, all I ask is credit that you credit the source. So I'm crediting the source. The source is you. And so <laughs> it's credited. And I'm going to put this on the show notes. So if you want to take a look at this infographic, please go take a look at it. And uh, and uh, I think that it's great. And it's great that uh, that people are paying more attention to that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a good infographic. Check it out. We got an email from Tim, the teacher, and uh, this is, you know, this is something we actually were going to be talking about. Um, Tim said that last week uh, his uh, his mom died at 54, uh, and he's 33. This is the first time he's had to deal with death as an atheist. Um, There's a lot of things that made him feel better. They're doing, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, obviously it's a very difficult time. They're doing okay. And he says... What I did not expect was the reaction that, along with my immediate family, uh, would have at the funeral. The pastor, my mom was a Lutheran and still religious, talked about 30 minutes and talked about her for about two minutes. He read verses out of the book of Revelation, yeah, the crazy stuff you guys just got done talking about, and kept talking about how either God needed her up there or that uh, he had to take her there early because something bad was going to happen to her. Needless to say, it angered all of us. And uh, I'm even uh, further from being an, a theist than before. My brother has decided that through this, he, is a, he isn't agnostic, that he's openly a- atheist. Have you guys ever dealt with this? Funerals never bothered me before, but now they infuriate me. I don't understand how uh, any of the typical platitudes could be comforting to someone. I, I've been to many funerals, um, and uh, this is a very, very, very common thing, mainly because I think the person behind the pulpit doesn't really know the person. And, uh, and they, there are some people who are, um, comforted by those platitudes as, as weird as that sounds, there's a lot of people. I mean, somebody will hear somebody who, who, 
is listening to us now and says when they say they needed her early because something bad was going to happen to her, I'm thinking worse than death. Like is that is that something worse than death? Because I can't. It's hard to believe that there's such a thing. But you know, there are people in the audience though that I think are sitting there saying, "Yeah, you know, I you you hear it all the time. Everything happens for a reason. Oh, there's a reason that this happened. There's a reason this happened. People." we're pattern seekers we need to have reasons for things we need to have these things make sense um because if we don't we feel small if we don't we feel like we're alone and uh and that's really hard and it's really traumatic and it and it really does a doozy on the brain when somebody dies and you don't have those things to cling on to so um so yeah i mean i understand where you're coming from, but I've been to many funerals like that where it's just like 30 minutes of like, did you even know who this person was? And then two minutes of stuff that they got from the famous family, obviously. Right. You know, I think it's also important to, um, as difficult as, as it is in, in those times, um, is to recognize that weddings and funerals both kind of, they have the same ring to them. Um, in a lot of ways when the priest or the preacher, the pastor, whatever, is doing their spiel. Um, this is another work day for these guys. It really is. Like, it, it sucks. It sucks so bad to even say it. But, like, you lost a friend or a family member. This is a monumental occasion. This is probably the 250th funeral this guy has done. He's at work. And he's got a way that he deals with funerals. You know, like, he gets a call. So-and-so died. You got to do the funeral thing. Okay, cool. Let me get out my funeral speech. I'll talk to the family. I'll get the snippets. I'll insert it into the outline. I'll do my funeral thing. He's a dude doing a job. He's a guy at work. Um, it's it, We all want to have this, this ultimately customized experience um, because our loved ones are so incredibly important to us. Um, so the idea that they would get a boilerplate treatment is kind of disgusting. Um, it's, it's disgusting to even say it. Um, but I think that it's true. I think that people have a script that they roughly stick to um, because they're going to do another one of these next Wednesday and they're going to yeah. do another one of these on Saturday. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but it's the case. And, I, you know, it helps some people. For me, I feel the same way, Tim. I listen to this shit and it's I'm baffled that anybody could possibly give three shits about what this guy is saying. But clearly they do. or They wouldn't invite these guys to stand up and speak. Uh, sorry for your loss, Tim, by the way. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sorry for your loss. saying. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no, don't – I mean, seriously, though. I mean, it's a, it's a shitty thing and it sucks and, uh, and you know, we hope you get through it. We got an email from, uh, from Gene and he says, I spent a couple months uh, agreeing with you about the death penalty. Um, and then he says uh, basically uh, that he stumbled upon a link and uh, there's videos of Americans that were being beheaded by people – and after watching uh, this one, I had to admit to myself that these fuckers deserve to, to die. Um, and, you know, basically he's saying, you know, that they deserve the death penalty. Uh, they don't deserve my tax dollars in prison to rehabilitate. And um, and so what I want to say, though, is uh, I absolutely agree that when I see uh, someone, you know, when I see someone, you know, obviously someone guilty of harming another, murdering another person, whatever – my first reaction, just as you, I mean, even it doesn't matter how horrific it is, is like that person deserves to die. But that's an emotional reaction, and um, I certainly wouldn't want to legislate my emotions. Yeah, and we, you know, it's important to recognize that for every super, super clear cut video evidence 
um, footage, 100% nail in the coffin sort of a deal that you have, you've got 10,000 more that are much more ambiguous. And until you can have a criminal justice system that's incapable of making mistakes, I don't think it makes sense to have a punishment that's incapable of being retracted. Right. We got an email title. Yeah, I love that some of our titles of our emails, Tom, are really just pretty amazing. This one's just Long Black Cock. So today, shortly after listening to you guys, I had the Long Black Cock song sung in my head. And I happened to sing it in a place where I thought I was alone. Turns out I was not alone. And the nice woman who heard me singing asked, oh, are you a Muslim? Awesome. That is pretty decidedly awesome. That's great. David sent in an email. He says, hey, guys, I just figured this one out. Uh, he's talking about the finger chopping machine, the automatic finger chopper offer that they have in Iran. Uh, he says, hey, guys, I just figured this one out. They probably need an elaborate finger chopping machine in Iran because no one has any fingers left to do the chopping. <laughs> Two pulleys? Yeah, that's damn hard to pull the trigger on a thing if you don't have the fingers. And it's very true. Very true. That's awesome. That's great. So next week, it's our hope that we're going to have on uh, DJ Grothy. He's going to be on. Um, we're going to be talking to him about stuff. So that'll be fun. And uh, and we're going to definitely have all links to uh, to to Robert uh, Blaskowitz's site, uh, the places where he's he can be found. He's on a different bunch of different podcasts and blogs. And do go out of your way to contact Robert uh, to find out if there's anything you can do to help him. Um, he's been, he's, he's one of those guys that is really accessible. So if this is something that interests you and you're interested in this sort of thing, go out of your way to contact him on Twitter and, uh, and he's going to send us, uh, uh, other ways in which to contact him. They're going to be on episode 120, but go out of your way to talk to him because, uh, because he will find some way that you can help. If this is some way that you're, if they, if you're definitely interested in this, do go out and seek him out. And you should be interested in this. This is like of all the skeptical topics, um, this is something where action can be taken. There's nothing you can do about Bigfoot, right? Um, nothing you should do. Who gives a shit? Loch Ness Monster? Fuck it. Who cares? Um, this matters. So I totally agree. You know, take the five minutes. Yeah, even just take five minutes and just send him a message to tell him that he's doing good work. Go visit his sites. Go visit the story site specifically and read some of those stories and, uh, and, 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 you know, just support his work. So that wraps it up for this week. Um, back in the saddle again, so to speak. A little longer episode than we had hoped, but, uh, but I don't think anybody's going to mind. We'll be back next week with, uh, with DJ, hopefully, and uh, with another batch of our bad stories and bad jokes. Uh, so until then, we're going to leave you with the Skeptic's Creed. Credulity is not a virtue. It's fortune cookie cutter, mommy issue, hypno Babylon bullshit. Couched in scientician, double bubble, toil and trouble, pseudo quasi alternative, acupunctuating, pressurized, stereogram, pyramidal, free energy, healing, water, downward spiral, brain dead pan, sales pitch, late night info docutainment. Leo Pisces, cancer cures, detox, reflex, foot massage, death in towers, tarot cars, psychic healing, crystal balls, Bigfoot, Yeti, aliens, churches, mosques, and synagogues, temples, dragons, giant worms, Atlantis, dolphins, truthers, birthers, witches, wizards, vaccine nuts, shaman healers, evangelists, conspiracy, doublespeak, stigmata, nonsense. Expose your signs. Thrust your hands, bloody 
evidential, conclusive. Doubt even this. The opinions and views expressed in this show are that of the hosts only. Our poorly formed and expressed notions do not represent those of our wives, employers, friends, families, or of the local dairy council.